Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. There hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about in British policing for quite a few years now. This podcast is all about what it was really like to be in the British police for the last 30 years. In the podcast, I'll talk about all the different jobs that I did, and I'll interview people who also did some really interesting things. I'll give you my thoughts about what's been going on recently in the news to help you understand how it all works. Spoiler alert, it's not like it is on the telly. This podcast is the real deal. I'm going to be discussing some quite disturbing things from time to time, so listener caution is advised. There may also be a bit of swearing, so best to keep the kids out of the room. Everything I say and have written comes out of a place of great love for British policing. You may not agree with it all, and that's okay. But all I ask is that you listen with an open mind, and if you go away feeling that you know a bit more about what policing is really all about, and perhaps have a bit more empathy for police officers, then I've succeeded. So, here we go. Hello everybody, Happy New Year to you. Ian here with the TJF podcast. Nice to be back with you in 2022. Flipping heck. Um, I hope Santa was good to you. Um, For those who were given a certain book, um, i.e. my book. I really hope that you enjoy it. And uh, I'm getting lots of lovely messages. Uh, clearly quite a few people have had it for Christmas and they've kind of binged read it. And I've had lots of messages on social media and email um, saying how much people are enjoying it. So um, that's really great. All I'd say is if you do enjoy it, I know I keep on saying this and I know it's probably really tedious and it probably sounds really needy. But can you do us a favour and go on to Amazon and do a rate and review, please? Um, It really helps drive sales. And um, it's not because I want to make money out of this book. Genuinely, that's not my motivation, um, as I hope you'll realise by now, having listened to enough of these. It's about getting the message out. And the more people who read the book, the more people understand what's going on and what's been going on in UK policing. So the more books that gets sold, the more people will realise and hopefully something will change. So anyway, uh, this week uh, I'm dead excited about this interview because I've been wanting to speak to her for absolutely ages and we just, for one reason or another, either she's out of the country or, um, you know, I've got a cold or a cough or something, um, we've had to postpone this um, quite a few times. So I'm going to be um, chatting to uh, Fiona. Fiona Israel is her new married name. I, I knew her as Fiona Shaw. Uh, and she was the very first sort of um, police officer who I would have described as my regular partner in the police when I um, first joined the Metropolitan Police in 1989. We were posted to the same station together. We were posted to the same uh, relief uh, team and um, and we ended up working together pretty much every day, really, for absolutely ages. Uh, we were pretty inseparable. And, um, yeah, so it was really brilliant to catch up with her. And um, uh, you can hear all about uh, what she's done in her career and just generally listen to the two of us um, chewing the fat, really. Um, I'm going to be changing tack a little bit with the podcast and... The main reason is that I've realised for a long time, and this is no, this is just the way it's happened, no particular reason why. It's been very male-dominated, a lot of the interviewees, and um, I was desperate to try and get more women um, on the podcast to interview. Many of the very best police officers I ever worked with were uh, female officers. And um, anyway, long story short is having done loads and loads of uh, shout outs on social media and various um, sort of offline uh, text and messaging conversations. I've got a whole load of really fantastic uh, women police officers or ex-police officers lined up to speak to over the coming weeks. And they come from all sorts of really interesting backgrounds and they've all got, I've no doubt whatsoever, really interesting stories to tell. So it's got to be a, a bit of girl power for the next um good few weeks um and uh, and I'm really I'm really excited about that um strong uh feisty uh, competent capable women um is going to be the order of the day 
Anyway, um, talking of strong, feisty, capable women, uh, here's the interview with Fiona. Hey, are you in? <laughs> are you in? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, you're a oh, bloody... for fuck's sake. You're you a know what? You're a bloody nightmare, you are. Well, I'd gone into that Google Meet. Oh, yeah. Honestly, what are you like? Flipping out. You haven't changed a bit, have you? Anyway, you're not turning your camera on. Are you being all shy? How the hell did you do that? How, oh, how... my God. <laughs> Oh my God! Where have you been for like hold the last? Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Five to ten years. Oh, there you are. Oh. <laughs> is, this, is this the first time you've ever done uh, a Zoom meeting? You must be the, the only person in the entire Western world that hasn't done a Zoom meeting before. Yeah, that's <laughs> Look me. Look at you with your specs on and everything. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, over I'm the cough. Yeah, well, I'm. Oh, still... do you know what? I'm full of cold, Ian. I've got my water here, <clears throat> and I'm thinking, don't have a sneezing fit. Don't have a sneezing fit. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, I'm still a little bit coughy, but um, I'll have to edit those out later. Yeah. If, I, if I go into a massive coughing fit, I'll, I'll just edit it out. But um, you do know I hate talking about myself. That's all right. I'll, I will force it out of you. I'll, I'll ask you lots of um, open-ended questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the in the way that I do, right? Awesome. Yeah, let's excellent. let's do it. So Fiona, so good to see you, and so nice to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Ian. I appreciate that, and lovely to speak to you as well. Yeah, well, it's been a long time, hasn't it? I mean, let's face it. Um, you know, we're both none of us are getting any any younger, are we? Um, but uh, I often think back to you know the days whenever we both joined. And uh, yeah, I, I think about, you know, some of the stupid stuff that I did and that you used to take piss out of me about um, in our early days in uniform. So, um, so yeah, what, what, are your, what are your kind of memories of those early, the first, you know, early days in policing? Any sort of immediate thoughts that spring to mind? Well, thinking back in, I, I don't think our paths ever crossed at Hendon. You know, there were so many students there, weren't there? And mm. I think we we first met when we went to Sylvan Hill, the That's section right. house. That's right. And then we were posted to the same shift at That's Sutton right. Police Station. And we did our street duties together, didn't we? Uh, yeah. And then I used to give you a lift to work. That's, that's right, because I was a because <laughs> I was because I was a bit of a fuckwit and I didn't drive, did I? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think I've got quite fond memories of our of our first couple of years. Um, I think we had a fairly good shift, lots of experience there. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. decent people, some fuckwits, but but yeah, I yeah, think yeah. on the whole, that yeah, most yeah. of them were pretty decent. So just to kind of put this in context for those who haven't read my book, because I talk about this in the book, um, but we we were both posted to Sutton, um, which call sign was Zulu Tango. Um, and initially I was absolutely gutted at getting posted to Z district because I saw it as being a bit of a sleepy hollow and I really wanted to work somewhere busy, uh, in sort of inner city. Um, how, how did you feel about being posted there? Were you not, were you happy about that or not really that bothered? Um, I don't think I was that bothered. I, I, I really didn't know London, you know, you were from mm. Ireland. Mm. I'd grown up in North Wales. Hmm. I didn't really know the area, so I, you know, it wasn't perhaps a, as much as a disappointment for me as it was for you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so just t- taking a step back. So we'll talk about sort of those early days in policing in a little bit, but just taking a step back, talking about you and your motivations for joining and all of that kind of stuff. Because I don't think I've ever even really had that conversation with you, even though we work very closely together. Um, you know, what were you, what made you decide to join the police? What were, you, what were you doing before you joined the police and what made you decide to join the job? Um, I trained to be a nurse mm. and I did that for a little while and then um, I just wasn't being fulfilled doing that. Mm. And I cannot honestly tell you did you have to, I did you have to Did you have to wipe lots of bums? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I didn't have any relatives, any friends in the police. But it was just a spur of the moment. Oh, do you know what? I want to do something different. 
I'm yeah. going to give this a try. And that right. was it. So I wasn't one of, you know, some people kind of grow up and think this is what I want to do. Right. But it, it, it wasn't like that. And it's been like that throughout my career. There was mm. never really a plan. Right. OK. But things happen. And I think they happen for a reason and things yeah. fall into place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you so you joined, you went to Hendon, same time as me. So that was, uh, let me see, February 89, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, 32 years ago, bloody hell. Um, yeah. And um, so when you got posted to Sutton, uh, so we, we ended up getting sent to the same section house, wasn't it? So again, yeah. for those listening to this, you have no idea what that is. This is a, a place where single uh, sort of unmarried officers would live in sort of like university type accommodation single study bedrooms you know with a shared bathroom we paid like peanuts didn't we it was something like four quid a month or something wasn't it yeah it was it was nothing it was yeah nothing. but then you get what you pay for as well don't you i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> and it was a pretty hellish place to live as i recall because i mean some people enjoyed it but i'd, I'd been at university um you know for four years so I'd kind of done all that. Um, and I, I, I find the, the fact that you were living with a load of people who were working shifts was pretty crap, wasn't it? Because people were coming and going all hours of the day and night, weren't they? Oh, God, there was one guy on my floor. Every time he came home, we'd put a, the bloody uh, music on and it was the same old song time and time again. <laughs> and it, it just got, it, it did get tedious. And, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's not something you wanted to do long term, but I think no. initially... It was, good, you... it was a good way of saving money, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was it, basically. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was pretty... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people there who had never lived away from home before, so they all were a bit kind of giddy, weren't they, about the whole thing and got a bit overexcited and kind of got, yeah. you know, turning up at all hours of the day and night pissed and noisy, and it wasn't very good, was it? But uh, So anyway, we, we were both living there. As you rightly said, you used to drive me to work because we were on the same shift and we started street duties. So um, what was your first impressions of actually being a uniformed police officer in South London when you first started and your very early days of sort of street duties and all that kind of stuff? Was it what you expected? Oh my God, so many years ago, Ian. <laughs> so many years ago. <laughs> um, I think pretty much so. Yeah. yeah, I think we all had, we were all nervous. I, you know, remember your first arrest, especially when you were on your own. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, stumbling over the caution. Yeah, but you, yeah, yeah. We got by. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, it, we yeah. got by. I remember chasing my first suspect, falling over my handbag, landing uh, flat on my face. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we, we've all been through those things, and that's how you learn, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got to go through those things. You learn it. Um, doing a... <clears throat> house search it was my arrest there were quite a few of us there and then he jumped out of a window none of us noticed but we managed to find him I remember you being a lot more I remember thinking at the time you were a lot more streetwise than I was you know I was even though I was 23 um I definitely felt that you'd kind of lived a bit more life than I had kind in a weird sort of a way you know I think I'd had a quite a maybe maybe that was the nursing I'm not sure maybe you'd but you know what I mean? I sort of felt that you were a lot more streetwise than I was right from right from the off, really. It took me it took me a while to kind of get my head around the job. You know? I'm not sure about streetwise, but perhaps a bit more confident. Mm, gobby, I'd say. Possibly. <laughs> 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 you certainly weren't one for holding back, were you? Well, hey. <laughs> You know what? One of my earliest memories of, of it, one of the funny things. So it was funny. It was kind of quite shocking as well uh, with you. Oh God, right. Stop. This isn't going to be anything awful. Is it you can say no? No, 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 no. Um, it was operational. Operational. So remember, remember the evening we got we got sent to the flat in Sutton where we um, when we went into the flat, I can't remember what the call was. I think it was a I think it was a a sort of a welfare kind of check on someone's welfare or something. And we went into the flat. It was quite a smart flat and sort of very kind of well-to-do kind of block of flats. And we went in and there was a woman um, in a massive pool of blood all over the carpet in the living room. 
And um, I don't think she was dead, but I think she was dying. And um, and it was like, it was horrific. It was like a scene from a horror film. Do you remember that? No. And you don't, you don't remember that. <laughs> no, what's that? Basically, it turned out that she was the cleaner and she had had an all day bender, alcohol bender in the flat while the guy who was living there was out watching the cricket. Uh, I think he, I think he was at Lords or somewhere like that. And she'd gone on an all day bender and she'd fallen. And it wasn't a, we thought it was a crime scene initially, but it wasn't. She'd fallen and cut her throat on the internal glass door inside the flat. Do you not remember that? No. Bloody hell, what are you like? But um, no, I, I remember going to that incident and being really shocked and thinking, oh my God, what's this? And we got the supervision down there and they sort of did, you know, CID and everything. And as it turned out, it wasn't a crime, it was an accident. But yeah, there was lots of, um, I mean, as a nurse, you were probably used to dealing with blood and guts, weren't you? Well, I was. So that probably wasn't as um, shocking to me as it was for you. Mm, so yeah. I think that's why some memories stay with you and yeah. some don't. I remember the old boy coming back. He came back while we were still there and he was absolutely fuming about the blood on the carpet. That was all he was care. That's all he was interested in. He was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this blood all over the carpet? Uh, who's going to pay for this carpet? He wasn't even remotely interested in the welfare <laughs> of the women who was who I think. I don't think she died, but I think she was very much touch and go, you know. And I remember thinking at the time that was that was weird that he didn't seem to care about her. He was only interested in how he was going to get his carpet cleaned. Yeah, sad, very sad. Some, some weird stuff. So anyway, so you went on to we both went on to the same shift, didn't we? Yeah. Once we'd finished our street duties, and um, how did you find? moving on to the shift compared to doing the kind of training, basically being in training. Did you find that kind of a big sort of change? I think we were ready for it. You can only do street duties for so long, can't you? Mm. And then you've got to go out into the real world and then you get put on shift. And then, um, yeah, I enjoyed that. I was was ready for that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a funny one, wasn't it? The culture back in those days was very much, um, you know, quite clicky, wasn't it? You know, the area car drivers would sort of sit sit at one table in the canteen, wouldn't they? And then the experienced PCs would sit together and they wouldn't talk to the probationers like us. And then gradually, 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 you would sort of be accepted, wouldn't you? But it was it wasn't straight away, was it? You had to prove yourself. Yeah. You definitely had to prove yourself. And yeah. you had to work hard. And I think once if you showed that you were willing to work hard, um, then then you did fit in after a while. But like you say, it took it took time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. were we were separate. Yeah, yeah. And there was some pretty crappy behavior going on. I remember one one airy car driver, and you'll probably remember him. Um, you know, I'd put my coat on the table in the in the canteen and he'd just throw it on the floor. There was lots of that kind of the small things, yeah, to to put you in your place. Yeah, and you'd get your. Do you remember? I mean, I don't think there was an equivalent for. I'm sure there was lots of um, silly things that female officers had to tolerate. Um, But for blokes, uh, you'd get the top of your helmet smashed in. Do you remember that? So, so in the top of your helmet, again, for those who are listening who don't understand this, you've got this sort of silver crown, which is like for want of a better word, like it's like the the, the, the tit, isn't it, at the top of your helmet? That's yeah. <laughs> the only way yeah. I can describe it, isn't it? Yeah. And one of the first things that would happen was somebody would just grab it in the canteen or something, take out the truncheon and just batter it until it was completely flat, wouldn't they? And do you remember people doing that? Uh, yeah. And I remember being really pissed off about that, thinking, oh, that's my lovely new helmet, and you just completely trashed it, you know? And you then you'd have to... But you didn't of, say anything, though, did no, you? No, no, no. We just went. We just went along with it. We no, with it. I'm making the tea. That was the other one, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pain in the arse, isn't it? Making the tea. Yeah. Because in those <laughs> days we had big teams, didn't we? Uh, and, well, they uh, were big because I think there were probably about fifteen on our shift, weren't there? Yeah, easily. 
easily. Yeah. So that's a lot of teas and coffees to have to try and remember, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Some people are really shit at making tea and coffee, aren't they? <laughs> that was the only way you could get out of making the tea if you were so bad at it that you'd be banned from doing it, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, dear. oh yeah. God. Giving someone tea with sugar when they didn't take sugar or whatever, you know. <laughs> and by the time you got it all sorted out, it was like the break, tea break was over. And you'd have to... <laughs> oh, and donuts, donuts for being late or for any other sort of infringement of protocol, isn't it? You know, you'd have to go out and buy. Did you have to ever have to go out and buy donuts? I don't think so. Did you not? Oh, I did. <laughs> Several times, usually for being late. Sleeping, uh, in. and that's when I obviously wasn't giving you a lift. <laughs> there was one time I remember, um, when it was we were early's, and I'd been out the night before, I'd been absolutely rat assed the night before, and got in about three, four o'clock in the morning. And then you gave me a lift in to work for early's, um, so we were in there for seven, so I'd had about two hours sleep, and I was still pissed, no question about it. And, um, uh, which is the only way I got to work because there's no way I was ever going to get myself there, you know, without you driving me there. And um, I remember uh, going to the briefing, getting my posting, and then going off on my foot patrol in the high street or whatever, Sunday morning, you know, it's nobody around. Is there. And I was thinking, oh, it's, after about 15, 20 minutes, I was thinking, oh, it's really, really quiet. I can't believe how quiet it is. It's like the radio's dead. And then anyway, about two or three minutes later, the area car comes roaring up beside me and, and somebody goes, Oi, grad! Because that's what they used to call me, grad, wasn't it? Because I was a graduate. Oi, grad! The, the control room's been calling you up and you're not answering your radio. I looked down, I didn't have a radio. I'd left the station <laughs> without a radio. I was still pissed. And, uh, and they stuck me in the station office for the rest of the day. Um, presumably to keep me out of trouble and um, yeah I had to buy donuts for that I think didn't I do you remember the school did you, did you have to do you remember doing the school crossing patrol oh my god <laughs> how we didn't how we didn't get killed doing that is beyond me <laughs> you were in a dual carriageway <laughs> I know the Belmont rise do you remember yes. it <laughs> in the A217 yes oh, I was coming flying along about 70 miles an hour <laughs> <sighs> Oh, God, you have to walk. You have to walk there. It was miles, wasn't it? You could get on a bus, though. Yeah, oh God, I can remember walking, and it was, like, all uphill as well. And you'd be on a hot day, you'd be sweating, because you'd be, like, wearing all your flipping blue serge uniform and hat, helmet and everything, boiling hot, to get to the school crossing patrol for, like, quarter past three or whatever it was, you know? But do you remember when you um, went on the area car and then you got to wear your car coat? That, oh, yeah. that was that was quite cool. You'd, ar you'd arrived at that stage. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we had some, I've got to say, um, we had some amazing area car drivers, didn't we, in terms of their driving abilities in those days. Uh, yes. Do you remember Alan Young? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. He was, he was seriously rapid, wasn't he? There was another guy, though, who was absolutely crazy. Martin... I can't remember his surname, who I just thought I'm going to die. Yeah, but I'm they were very, very, day. very good drivers, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. I mean, absolutely cool as a cucumber. And, yeah. you know, I remember, <clears throat> you know, being on pursuits and stuff with Alan Young uh, as the operator on the area car, you know, on this big, out in those outer, outer London boroughs, yeah. big fast roads, isn't it? You yeah. know, um, arterial routes in and out of London. So you'd get all these, armed robbery gangs and burglary gangs going out and screwing places out in the home counties and then coming back and there'd be big pursuits within them. The helicopter yeah. was up and, you know, and Alan Young used to be so unflappable. Um, but I've never, I think in all my time in the police, I think he was the fastest person I was ever in a car with. Um, but, but, but yeah, they're just, um, I mean, you really very calm, very, very oh, calm. Incredibly calm. Yeah. Incredibly calm. I mean, I've been with I've been with very very fast area car drivers. You know, when I went up to Clapham as well. But Al, there was something about Alan's style of driving that was incredibly calm. And I remember, you know, going through 
very, very narrow gaps, you know, at over 100 miles an hour um, and thinking, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, so you let's just move on a bit. So um, after two years, I I was um, a bit bored, if I'm honest, with Sutton. Um, I wanted I was really hankering for the inner city. So I, as you know, I then put in an application to transfer up to Clapham. Uh, and that's where our kind of paths, um, you know, we stayed in touch, obviously, because we were still very good friends, weren't we? Um, and there's an interesting one, because culturally, just talk about this for a minute. People were convinced that just because you and I worked together and we were like police partners, everyone was convinced that we were in a relationship, weren't they? It was like there was, you know, maybe not everyone, but I mean, there's, there's that kind of pathetic sort of just because you're friends with a woman, people just assume that you're shagging, don't they? Well, yeah, yeah, don't they? Yeah, and, and it's and it's such a, a childish kind of thing, isn't it? That you, people just can't accept that you can actually be friends with a woman without sleeping with them. You know, it's a weird one. Maybe I mean, is that a police thing? Or do you think that's a police thing, or is that just a, a life thing? I think it's it, perhaps a police thing. I think so. Um... Did you experience much kind of sexism um, as a female officer in those days? Probably. But mm. again, it was just accepted. It was just part of the culture back then. Whereas I think if those things happen now, it will be very different. Or I hope it I hope it'd be different. Mm. So uh, you... and, and, and supervisors would never address that sexist behavior mm. when no. you were being called names. And yeah. just, you know, things were happening. Yeah. I mean, um... nothing, nothing <clears throat> that I would say was serious. Mm. It's kind of, as I recall. Um, and, and I think this this is a, a bit of a comment really on a lot of the criticism that's leveled at policing, isn't it? Um, my, my general take on that, a lot of it, in fact, I think the vast majority of it is banter that just occasionally goes too far and where people are insensitive and say things that are um, a bit stupid, but 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 actually aren't intending to really, you know, be gratuitously offensive. I mean, do you do you think do you think it's it's just misplaced humor a lot of it? I think so. And the people, like you say, they don't know the boundaries and when they overstep the mark. And I think looking back at our first shift, there were quite a few females on there. Yeah. yeah there older were. females and experience. So it probably didn't go as far. As maybe mm. you could have done yeah, because yeah. of the strong female characters there. Yeah, yeah, we had some really, yeah, very strong women there, weren't there? Yeah, um, good role models um, yes. for other younger women coming on the shift and what have you. Yeah. But yeah, I just wonder sometimes if uh, I mean, there's some people say some unbelievably cruel things to each other in the police, don't they? In humour, you know, and it's it's that it's that part of that kind of dark humor that police officers have because they're dealing with you know some pretty grim things sometimes but but yeah sometimes it just goes just too far i think yeah i agree so anyway moving on um so our, we kind of go our separate ways you stay at how long did you stay at sutton for then oh god um well i stayed till i transferred to cumbria right so when was that that would have been about um that would have been about 99 99 okay and yeah about um, 10 years so uh so remind me of what was the so so just as in full in spirit of full disclosure um obviously i am very good friends still with val your ex-husband who was in the police as well and he was working at Croydon at the time. So you got married, you and Val got married, didn't you? Whenever you were yeah. still at Sutton, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of got to know Val through you and Val and I are still, you know, very good friends. And, um, but obviously you, you guys aren't together anymore. But um, just remind me what the motivation was for moving up to Cumbria. Was it sort of to be closer to family or? I think he he was really the driving factor in that. Right. 
I think he'd had some uh, issues at work, which right. you know, it's not my place to go into that and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and say that. Um, and 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 yeah, it would be closer to family. And I right. think you know we we'd kind of had similar amount of time in the job, mm-hmm. and 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 it was just a change, and we were yeah. both ready for a change because when you spend your holidays going back up north. Um, we both enjoyed outdoors, the Lake mm-hmm. District, all those mm-hmm. things. It, yeah, yeah. it just seemed the right move at that time. Yeah. So, so Val left the police, um, as we both know, and, and maybe I'll, I'll get him on at some point to, to talk about that um, because it's a, you know, an interesting story in its own right, really. But um, so you transferred to Cumbria, and did you go as a PC or as a sergeant? I can't remember. Uh, PC. Right. Okay. Yeah. And what were your impressions of um, arriving? Because so basically, again, for anybody who's listening who doesn't understand, you went full on carrot mode, didn't you? You uh, you you became a a massive carrot by moving to Cumbria. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? You're looking at me blankly. Um, so for anyone, so anyone who's basically not in the Met is a carrot, as far as the, as far as as far as the Met are concerned. Anyone who's not in the Met is a carrot. Um, which is short and short for carrot cruncher. Um, so uh, when I moved to the West Midlands, I was I was immediately just you know they said that oh you you're you've, you're going to be a carrot. It's like West Midlands, mate. It's like second biggest city in the UK. It's like full of guns and drugs. But anyone anywhere that's not the Met, you're a carrot, aren't you? Yeah. You did properly go full on carrot by going to Cumbria, didn't you? God, and what a culture shock that was. <laughs> yeah well, what was it like I mean I've never worked anywhere like that um, I remember I, I went to I was posted to Kendall when I first went there um, and that that wasn't too bad you mm. ticked along it was mm. different very very different because I remember in the Met when, when we'd been at Sutton a call yeah. would come out over the radio and you'd be fighting yeah. to, you know it was competition you yeah, could yeah. answer the call to go yeah. to the job that's right it was the opposite. The call would come out over the radio. What, nobody wanted to go. No one wants to go. Oh, you joking? <laughs> what, why was that? Just because they were too lazy? Well, I don't know. No one wanted to go. So, um, so you must have been, they must have seen you, you must have been like keen as mustard compared to most well, people. Well, yeah. Right? And then people don't like that, do they? Oh, yeah, because it shows so, them up, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, because you, you're making us look a, li- a little bit bad by doing that. And then, I went to work in a, I don't know if you've heard of a place called Sedba. I've heard of it. It's where the posh Yeah, it was like it? a volunteer. There's no one to work there. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'll try that. Didn't have a call for three days. You're kidding me. Oh, my God. And you... you'd be the only one on duty. And if you did have a call, there'd be no backup. Right. You know, pro- probably the nearest unit would be on the M6. Right. About so 20 long? miles away. So okay. it's a very different type of policing. Yeah, yeah. More yeah. challenging. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you're on you're completely on your own. Single oh. crew, you got the, the key to the station, you'd open it when you went in and you lock it when you went home. Really? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. So it's far uh, more testing than when you're in a big uh, force yeah. and you're falling over people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh god. So did you get yourself into sort of dicey situations because of that uh, when you were up there did you find yourself in situations where you were very very isolated and vulnerable uh yeah yeah um but i think you you adopt a different style because you know you're on your own that's probably why nobody goes to anything isn't it because <laughs> they, they don't want to get their head kicked in do they yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, uh, whereas in the Met or the West Midlands or Greater Manchester or any of those big forces, you know, you know that if you if you call for backup, you're going to get it pretty yeah. quickly, you know. Yeah, very different, very very different. Oh gosh, did you but have good. to deal with? But good, a real test. Yeah. A real test. Did you have to deal with some really weird country kind of things that you thought, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, um, not Keep so much. But I remember in in the north, it very much unite out ends with. A big fight. That's yeah. the norm for the end of the night. Right. We, don't, okay. we just don't go home quietly. Right. We've got to have a big punch up in the street. Right. Okay. So it was always like that. It was always so predictable. Really. You knew what was going to happen, and that was it. And that was in those little Cumbrian towns and what yeah. have you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, just let them get on with it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you um, took your exam and you became a sergeant um, eventually. Is that right? Well, I um, when I went to Cumbria and I'd got about 10 years in and I just thought, right, I really need to do something now because I've done in the mayor, I've, I've done the, the divisional drug squad. I've been in domestic violence quite a long time. And I just thought, mm. what can I do? This is boring. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then I went into training. Right. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did yeah. that. Yeah. So, so I um, became so you... a national police trainer and right. then got so... seconded to the home office. And was that training new recruits or, or what? Yeah, new recruits. Okay. When, when national police training was in place, not, not like it is now where it's force training. Yeah. Um, so I went to work in Warrington. All right. The, okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Recruits from the Northwest there. And what was that like? Did you enjoy that? Yeah. I had a great time there. You yeah. must have a right laugh with watching some of these clueless recruits because training schools, I mean, they don't exist the way they, they did yeah. then, do they? Um, so it's very poor grammar. They don't exist anymore. Um, it's all, you know, they go off to university now and do distance learning and all sorts of weird and wonderful things, don't they? Which I don't think for a moment prepares people for the rough and tumble of policing. Um, so, you know, what did you... Did you feel that, that the training school experience was good for new officers? Um, I liked national police training, where mm. people were getting the same uh, course throughout the country. Right. Um, and the, the only difference is, in the Met, and I don't know if you remember this from your class, do you remember we used to have the um, exams every other week? Yeah, that's right. And then if you fell three times, you were out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you turn up, you'd have the exam, and then you go into class the next day. Oh, where's Trevor? Uh, yeah, Trevor's failed, and he's left. He's gone. It was quite binned. brutal. Yeah, 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 and quite um, right, quite rightly so. In because we we were working with different forces, you didn't, you couldn't do that. So we've, even if you had students who you thought you're not up to par, you're really not going to make this. You couldn't really do a great deal about it. Because it was down, it was a forced decision. Yeah. So you were sending officers out, trainees out, who perhaps you thought they really shouldn't be going out. Yeah, and and certainly I think the anecdotally, I've never worked in training, so you know what do I know? But um, you know, anecdotally, I've heard how that culture of being finding it very difficult to fail people became deeply ingrained within police training to the point where you know certain people would be given so many chances um who were clearly temperamentally unsuitable for policing but were given so many chances that it was almost impossible to even get rid of anyone during their training never mind during the period of their probation so for me getting you know thinking about the thesis of what i've been sort of saying in my book um I think that has caused us some problems as an organization as well, because you end up with some people in the organization who just probably shouldn't be there. And then, and then there the mechanisms for getting rid of them as fully sort of, you know, qualified officers are, are, are very kind of weak and inefficient. So I don't know, did you see any, any of that, you know, in terms of how that then played out later on in people's sort of career, so to speak? say so but I agree with what you said about the mechanism mm. that it's it's so bureaucratic and so yeah. difficult mm. and then have supervisors got time to be doing that yeah oh yeah you know because it's easier to just transfer someone isn't it we'll send yeah. them elsewhere oh you want to go to traffic you want to go here you want to go right yeah off you go and passing it on yeah they become somebody else's problem yeah. then don't they yeah. yeah I mean I tell a story in my book which is a true story of how um, we had one particular individual who remained nameless for obvious reasons, uh, who was unbelievably hopeless, um, took frequent periods of, um, you know, uh, absentee, uh, wouldn't turn up for work. When they were at work, they would, um, you know, do very little. Uh, and they were a nightmare to manage, a nightmare. And, and I basically said to the two sergeants who were responsible for that particular team have said, right, we need, to, we need to get this bloke out because he's a nightmare. He's been a nightmare for years and we need to grasp this nettle and sort him out. 
And the task of trying to get them sorted out became so overwhelming for both of them that both sergeants ended up going off sick with stress. Oh, my God. I mean, you literally couldn't make this stuff up, could you? No. No. So anyway, so conscious of time. um, So you um, eventually uh, took on an opportunity with the United Nations, didn't you? Yes. Um, so let's talk about that. So how did that how did that um, opportunity kind of uh, present itself? Um, when I was in training, I worked with people who'd been on um, international policing comments. Yeah. And you know the UK government um, supports these comments, and it comes. You know it gets advertised every year. Police orders. You know, who wants to go on these comments? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself, you know, at a stage in my life, I was single, I'd got divorced, my mum had dementia, I'd been looking after her for a few years, she'd gone into a care home. Mm-hmm. The application came out, and I just thought, you know what, this is my time. Yeah. Um, submitted an application for training. Um, got supported by force and then mm-hmm. went on a list with the foreign office. Right. So you don't have, um, if, if your force supports your application and the foreign office accepts it, you then go on a list. That's how it was back then. I believe it's different now. But So, that, so that means that you can be deployed pretty much anywhere that they, they decide where you're going to go. It's not a case of you deciding where you're going to go. Is that right? Uh, well, no, you... you you pretty much decide um, because the first job um, that I was offered, it was doing um, curriculum design in Baghdad. Right. Well, my I, I was in a force where the chief con was set, said, no, 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 no <laughs> one's going to Iraq from this force. So that that was, which is which is fair enough, actually, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so um, and then. It, it just it just all kind of fell into place because my mum went into care. Hmm. I, I took time off work, went back to work, and the job came out in Sierra Leone. Right. Okay. And I just thought, well, yeah, that sounds interesting. Didn't know a lot about the country. Knew it, they'd had an awful civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, yeah, okay, put me forward for that. Yep. And then it's a bit tricky because the foreign office are dealing with it, not force. And I remember getting home from work one evening, cooking dinner, uh, telephone call. Oh, hi, it's Mr. So-and-so. I'm just calling from the UN in New York for your interview. Right. No warning, no prep, no nothing. <laughs> Did you have to find Sierra Leone on a map? Is that like, is that like there's only one question in this. I need you to find Sierra Leone yeah. on a map. Yeah. <laughs> so we had the 30-minute interview. Got into work the next morning. Yeah, you've got the job. All right, okay. So, so yeah. you, you'll do. You're, 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 you've got a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> two arms, two legs. You've got a pulse. You're in. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah. so what was your job uh, in Sierra Leone then? Um, training advisor, working with the head of um, training in, in Sierra Leone police. All right, okay. That's yeah. the local police, is it? Well. The police for the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so how many other Brits were there? Uh, I think just one other Met officer. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and what was that like? I mean, God, if 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 moving from London to Cumbria was a culture shock, moving from Cumbria to Sierra Leone must have been like a culture shock on steroids, was it? Jesus Christ, Ian, couldn't make it up. <laughs> yeah, couldn't make it up. <laughs> because I think in the run-up. Um, I've been really busy because you've got to do courses, medicals, uniform, uh, vaccinations, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole shebang. You, you didn't really have time to think about it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I arrived there and then they fly, fly you out business class, nice glass of champagne. Yeah, and yeah. then you arrive to a developing world country, which, you know, the airport at the time, baking hot. Yeah. Anyone could walk in off the street. Yeah. It was just like, oh my god, culture sh- shock. You really? And had you ever been to even an- another country like that before? Had you ever been to the third world before? Never. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bloody hell. So you really did go large, didn't you? Yeah. 
And I remember the day after I arrived, going out with a couple of colleagues in the car and thinking, and the streets were just packed with people and thinking, shit, do I have to come out here on my own? <laughs> <laughs> and were you going to be a, a visible police presence out there? Or were you going to be sort of working behind the scenes, so to speak? Uh, we were monitoring and observing and advising. Right, okay. So we weren't um, policing, we weren't policing. Right. Um, and I imagine, I don't want to jump to conclusions here, you know, at the risk of sort of, you know, making a wrong assumption, but I imagine policing must have been fairly rough and ready and pretty brutal um, in an environment like that. Would that be fair to say that? Uh, different, very different, very mm -hmm. unskilled, very unsupervised. Um yeah, pretty lawless, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, lots of guns around, I imagine. Uh, not so many guns, lots of machetes around. All oh, right, okay. Well, I'm not sure whether I'd rather be macheted to death or shot to death, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> preferably, preferably neither, really. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, uh, what? So your job was to to do what exactly? To sort of try and. Um, bring them into a place that was more presumably professional, ethical, uh, all of that? Yeah. Um, there'd been a UN mission in Sierra, Sierra Leone for quite a few years, and I went on the tail end of that because they've had this very nasty civil war. Mm -hmm. And so it's about um, developing the country. Right. So at, at that time... Um, there was still a big Brit military presence. Mm -hmm. um, they had the war crimes trials going on at the special court. Mm -hmm. And so it was just kind of trying to restructure mm. um, and develop the services that had kind of been destroyed by the war. My, my memories of that period are a bit hazy, but I do recall the paras being deployed to Sierra Leone, weren't yeah. they? And they basically brought an end to what was a very bloody, yeah. you know, with a relatively small number of, of people. They, they instilled some peace, didn't they, and order into what was a chaotic situation, as I recall. It, uh, that's right, yeah. That's, yeah. that's how it ended. Right. Uh, but then you just, you know, the country had been destroyed. Yeah, you know, yeah. thousands have been killed, um, lots of amputees because you know what? That's what they did. They chopped hands and feet off people. Child soldiers, all of that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, brutal, brutal. Dreadful. In a civil war, obviously, it's not a neighbouring country. Mm. You've all got to try and reconcile. Yeah. And build yeah. back and build yeah. back better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build back better. Look, check you, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, bloody hell. It does feel a bit like Sierra Leone in this country. Well, moment, I remember going it? to the training God. school, Ian, and um, it was like a derelict site. You know, really? every ugh, a lot of money is spent, a lot of aid is given to these countries. And I'm, I'm very much against that because yeah. I, I, a lot of it is wasted. Right. And I went to the training school, every bathroom had been destroyed. Every facility, no electricity, no training materials. Oh, just... God, where do you even where do you even start with well, that? That's it. Where do you start? You know, one thing I did. You know, I, I probably got three things that I think. Yeah, I achieved something there. I um, wrote a training manual for the training right. school, mm -hmm. so students had some materials. Right. I did an assessment for Sierra Leone police officers to go on a UN secondment. Right. And that was successful. I sent you the photo I sent you. Yeah. Um, they were the officers who passed the assessment. Right. Um, and then worked with the German government, got some funding for rehabilitation and police accommodation. Wow. I mean, I think this is the whole thing, isn't it? In that scenario, the um, your expectations have got to be very realistic, haven't they? Yeah. Um, you're not going to suddenly turn a war-torn impoverished um country into um which is probably loads of corruption as well i would imagine within the political system 
you're not going to turn it into something that even vaguely resembles um, UK policing, are you? No, and, and that's a good point. That's what you've got to remember. You're limited in what you can do. Mm. So do the best you can mm. within those limitations, mm-hmm. and then you hopefully achieve something. Yeah. So how long did you spend out there? Um, my comment was for 12 months. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I imagine you must have met some really interesting people out there. My husband? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so here's the thing. I was out of uh, touch with you for, for ages, for years. Yeah. And... Um, <clears throat> I can't remember. I can't remember why. I think I probably just took a, as I say, Northern Ireland. I just took a notion and uh, tracked you down, um, sent you an email saying hi, you know, hope you're well, what you up to, kind of thing. And then you came back with this story that sounded like something out of a Wilbur Smith novel, where you had, <laughs> you were in Africa, uh, you'd met some bloke who was working on a diamond mine or something ridiculous, and uh, and. I was just like, and then you, that's right. You, I think you'd got married. And uh, so tell me about that. You know, did he, was he working at a diamond mine or is that my imagination? No, he was running it. He was running it. There you go. <laughs> did he wear, do you remember Dak Tower? I'm sure my age now. Do you remember Dak Tower years ago where was a bloke with sort of like, he was like a safari hunter kind of guy. Yes. Did, did, did your husband look like that? Did he wear one of those kind of a pith helmet and a, a sort of a, a, a kind of safari jacket when carry a gun everywhere. No. No. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so so um where did you meet him? At a swimming pool. At a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't changed. You haven't changed at all. <laughs> hanging hanging around the swimming pools. We were the only two people there. It was the end of the rainy season. Right. Um, I was due to come home on leave and thought, Jesus Christ, I've got to get a bit of a tan here. Right. And then I met him at a swimming pool. <laughs> oh, yeah. bloody hell. So um, so he's Israeli, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so tell, <laughs> tell me about that then. He'd been there for quite a few years, um, working in mining, diamond and gold mining. Right. Um, and then... So we got together quite soon after I arrived there. Yeah. And then obviously my comment finished. I came mm-hmm. home and then thought, well, you know what? I'm going to take a career break because I wanted yeah. to go back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think once you've, once you've experienced working in a country like that, you go back to force. And I was going back to Cumbria, remember? Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> like, like thinking, what the hell am I, I, I doing? Think I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Oh, I know. That's so the I thing, isn't it? I took a career break for two years. And went back and was working with him and yeah. then decided, you know. So you what? went back to, so you took a career break, went yep. back to Sierra Leone. Yeah. And did you get, when did you get married? What point did you get married? A couple of years later. Okay. Yeah, we met in 2007, got married in 2009. I bet you got a real massive, I mean, if you haven't got a diamond the size of a wheelbarrow, then there's no, you know, he's just not trying hard enough, is he? I've got plenty of them here. Have you? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> Won't tell anyone where you live, just in case that kind of back that comment backfires on you. When you have to say to your husband, "Stop buying me diamonds." <laughs> well, you know, if you need to offload a few of them, you know, go yeah. give them a good home. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Oh bloody hell! So, uh, so that, um, so you've, you're back in the UK now. Yeah. Um, when did you come back to the UK? Uh, February last year. Right. Okay, and that was obviously you lost your mum, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so that was obviously uh, which we've spoken about that before, obviously. Um, and um, and what's the plan? What's the plan to to go back there again? He wants to go back into mining. Does he? <laughs> Is he running out of diamonds? Because you've had all this bloody diamonds off him, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. He'd get yeah. some more diamonds. Yeah. Dig, dig a few more yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the plan. And how and do I you think... feel? How do you feel about that? quite a few months at home i'm ready i'm ready to go on my next adventure now right okay yeah but as i say with covid everything's changed travel is a nightmare um mm. so once things have calmed down a bit mm. yeah hopefully so you're not thinking of rejoining the police then <laughs> i'm too old <laughs> <laughs> oh no god no, just just um i'll be fired on my first day <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I know you've got to have your brain taken out and washed under a cold yeah. tap now, haven't you? Yeah. Not allowed to not allowed to have any original thoughts, you know. The thought police would have well, you, you know out inside forty eight hours. Career, I've had a great, great career. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Most of it, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I had to I worked with I was genuinely blessed to work with some of the best people I think you will ever meet in your entire life. Unfortunately, as you know, you also end up working with some of the very worst. Um, what was know, the best bit for you? Probably Special Branch, I think, probably. Um, back in the sort of 90s, late 90s, and then into the early 2000s, working on the surveillance team. That was great fun. Being a sergeant in Coventry was great fun as well. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I would hate it, you know, going back to uniform again. You know, bearing in mind I'd been in covert policing for a long time, you know, working on the surveillance team. I'd been a dedicated surveillance photographer, you know, so kind of a niche within a, a niche. So the idea of going thinking, you know, going to a new force, becoming a uniform sergeant um, just filled me with dread in many ways. But you know what? I absolutely loved it. I loved it. It was just such good fun. I've never laughed as much in all my life as, as we did, you know, very often and doing that job. It was just comedy capers. You know, we worked very, very hard. We dealt with some very, very difficult stuff and very some very dangerous people. Um, but what, what a laugh that was. And I do think that's because that was the tail end of the period when policing was allowed to get on and do the job of policing rather than, being dragged into all sorts of ridiculous time-wasting activities that I don't think the public expect us to be doing as the police, you know. So, so yeah, and then I think, um, you know, from then on, I think that the organisers, I say in my book, you know, I think the organisation started to lose its way. But uh, anyway, that's a different conversation, isn't it? But um, listen. So did you lose the enjoyment as you got promoted? Um and uh, no, not really. Um, I think each rank comes with its own um, sort of challenges as well as its own pleasures. Um, <clears throat> I enjoyed, um, it, the further up you go, I suppose, the more decisions you can make decisions. And, and because I had, a very, I had a very full career, I was very experienced. Um, I, I was confident in my decision-making. I knew that if I was dealing with stuff that was that was that was high risk, um, I, I knew I knew that I had a very very full career to fall back on. So I enjoyed that, and you know, and it's nice running big teams. You know, at one point I had I was running when I was a chief inspector. I had you know 10, 10 inspectors and about 20, 25 sergeants and about one hundred and fifty officers and staff. You know, so it's it's quite a lot of responsibility yeah. and. And then as a superintendent, you know, you're obviously making high risk, quite high risk decisions around some authorities and things like that, you know. But so every rank has its own, as I say, has its own um, advantages and disadvantages. But I think the thing that I just find very depressing um, was the way that the organization was being dragged into doing all sorts of things that, that really I don't think the public want the police to be doing. Uh, and then obviously the reduction in resources over the last sort of 10 years has has been a complete catastrophe for, for policing. So, so yeah, but um, anyway, listen, um, conscious of time, I've done about an hour now. So um, I've, it's been great. I've been, I've really, really enjoyed our chat. I've, it's been great seeing you. And it's been great hearing your voice and um, yeah. So I wish you I wish you the very best, Fiona. I really do. Well, it's been lovely to catch up with you, Ian. And um, hey, let's try and stay in touch this time. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And if you've if you if you find if you've got if those diamonds are cluttering the place up, okay. <laughs> you know where I am. Just, just pop them in an envelope and I'll uh, I'll do my best to kind of oh. find a good home for them. I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you take care. And yep. uh, I'll okay. hopefully speak to you and catch up with you very soon. Yeah, you take care, Ian. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Bye bye. Once we had a policeman, he was often in our 
street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his beat. But now we never see him. It really makes us frown. No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town. Oh. <laughs>